This is Beyond Governance with Dr. Nimrod Dembele on 101.9 High FM. Hello, everyone, and good evening on this glorious uh, Tuesday evening. Uh, thanks for tuning in. My name is Nimrod Mbele. I am delighted to be in your midst once again, and welcome to Beyond Governance. Uh, in this show, as always, we always try and push envelope by really talking about issues of national importance, and tonight is certainly not an exception. Before we get into the gist of tonight's conversation, let's do what we normally do best. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, let me say thanks to Kathy, Simon, David, and Sina for giving you guys uh, uh, worthwhile conversation or issues for over the past couple of hours. Be sure to be, you know, they'll be around tomorrow again and give them your audience and give them your support as you always do. Uh, for those that have missed out our conversation last week as a norm, I'm welcome to, to, to look at our website and uh, download the podcast and give us your thoughts. Our SMS line is 34519. A telegram is 061-895-1095. And of course, my email is nimrod at chai.co.za. Um, give us your thoughts. Give us your views about what stood up for you. Talking of what stood up for me this particular week, I could not hold, I could not help but to, I've obviously I've taken a keen interest on what is happening on the on the global scale, particularly in South Africa. Um, we have noted that you know, um, outer and SA pilot associations are trying to declare the former chairperson of SA, uh, Miss Dudumieni, uh, a delinquent director. What does that mean? You must have had so much, um, you know, so much mess. Um, leveled against you for anybody to declare you or want to declare you a delinquent director. Um, obviously, in an event that she's been declared or found guilty of these very serious charges, the chances are she will not serve in any board. And that's a very, that's a very uh, important, uh, uh, you know, landmark in an event that it comes through. But however, I think it's important that people are aware of these kinds of, of issues. I mean, it's not, it's not a, an easy thing to be declared a delinquent director because that's where most people draw their income. And which means you have literally let down the organization. You do not meet, you do not advance what is in the best interest of the organization. It means you were, you, you, you were disloyal. You flaunted every single rule in the book to a point where the brand of the organization that you represented, um, has fallen to an extent that the financial implications of some of your decisions uh, would have brought the organization to its knees. This, for me, really stood out in the context of SAA. Uh, whether, um, you know, Mr. Dumien would have found guilt or not, the court will make that kind of a determination. But I just felt it is important just to reflect the seriousness of these kind of charges. Well, moving on, we know that we've got a uh, budget speech tomorrow. And we are all waiting with breath, breathless anticipation on what the Minister of Finance will be bringing, uh, you know, or at least, you know, sharing his thoughts about how he's going to reconfigure the budget. On that note, we've got Ndade Bonang Mahali on the line, who will really be giving us a perspective in terms of what is it that he would be expecting. But we do know that as a matter of uh, principle, is, or as a matter of principle, we do know that the economy is not doing well. We, according to NDP at some point, we have had projection of about 5% and we are nowhere nearer to a percent, let alone 5. Uh, 
So there's serious work that needs to be done if we are to realize anything that has been put together or put forth uh, in the NDP. Our SLEs are complete in a mess. Um, you know, there are issues around rating agencies. There are issues around the downgrade. And, of course, the question is, um, amongst others, will the minister uh, cut the salary bill that is supposedly high? On that note, let me not uh, much, take much time and bring in Dadi Mahali. Good evening, Dadi Mahali. How are you? Thank you so very much for having me. I genuinely wanted to be uh, in the studio in person. But I love the way you started about being probably declared a delinquent director. And my contribution is when you look at the definition of a fit and proper person, it talks about competency related to your duties and integrity. It speaks about your experience, your qualifications. It refers to continuous professional development. And it talks about two last things, operational ability and your financial soundness or standing. When you summarize all of that, it refers to integrity, impartiality, and objectivity, my dear brother. Thank you very much for that insight, Mr. But from where you're sitting, I mean, obviously we, we can't debate the ins and outs. At the principal level, my take is that for you to have been declared or to be labeled in a delinquent director, you must have flaunted all those kinds of principles that you put forward. I think here we are talking about a prisoner's uh, offense where for the last nine wasted years uh, we have probably stolen about 1.5 trillion South African rands, which is two-thirds of what the South African Revenue Services collects a year every year. Every year of the nine wasted years we have been siphoning off about a hundred billion South African rands just to the two Zupta families. Imagine where we would be as a country, as a people, as an economy. As we speak today, we are expecting budget 2020 at the time that the economy is really on its knees. This is the effect of what happens when all of us keep quiet and are complicit by our silence in state capture, in corruption, but most importantly, in bribery, stealing, and cheating. We have now stolen from our grandchildren. We are in a spot of bother by choice, literally. Honey, I, I, I like the way you've actually put it, that we were complacent, we were quiet. But one would want to understand that uh, we have different powers and related to, we related to the state from a different power relation point of view. Let me make an example. Um, business, a collect, um, business as a united front has a particular relationship with government. I do note that in, a, in, a, in over the past 10 years, perhaps maybe, uh, things, business did not have the same relationship with government as it ought to. But what from now onwards, how do we take the relationship between business and government to a different level? What are the things that business would do differently to influence the policy agenda of the state to a point where the state is becoming more responsive to address uh, what NDP has spoken about in terms of 5%, which we are nowhere near to? First of all, I think it's a realization that for many decades now, since 1994, when we're gifted with the first democratically elected president, 
Kholisa Nelson Mandela. Business went back to his barracks and thought that the business of business is business. Now, on the 50th anniversary of the World Economic Forum, one of the studies says general society has lost confidence in politicians in general. However, their trust in business is still relatively high. Therefore, business, especially the CEOs, must not squander this trust that is demonstrated by ordinary citizens. Therefore, they are not expected only to speak on issues of shareholder value, but also on geopolitical, most importantly, socio-economic issues, because business has a disproportionate voice. In South Africa, we were quiet for too long until we found our voice about um, two and a half years ago, and when Praveen Gordon, who was the Minister of Finance at that time, was fired and replaced by the weekend special, uh, we then marched in our suits to Pretoria and said, not in our name. From that moment on, we dare not go back to sleep because the price of liberty is constant vigilance. Therefore, there are three things that we as business must continuously do. One is to be a trusted advisor uh, to this government. Number two, to be a partner of choice. Number three, to do everything possible in our power to ensure that this ANC-led government is indeed a capable state because we know in the last nine wasted years how painful it is to deal with a state that is less than capable. And indeed, um, we now see the fruits uh, that are supposed to be the chickens that come home to roost when probably Minister Tito Mboweni delivers the most difficult uh, budget uh, since the advent of democracy. Before, we, before we get into um, the, the, the nuts and bolts of the budget as we uh, anticipate it to be, take me through you know, the critical components of, of a capable state because I think you did it in a nail. Uh, the fact that the state has not been able or different... Um, you know, formation of the state's uh, structures have not been able to firstly formulate policies, follow policy, and 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 you know, f- advance the trust of majority of South Africans. Fail. We have we have seemingly failed. What is it that, from a capable state point of view, what is it that your business would be advising government to hold the center? You see, first and foremost is to say, but what characterized the nine wasted years? Number one and absolutely key was getting rid of the good cops, the people that knew what they were doing, the engineers, the people who are vested and well vexed in corporate governance at ESCOM, for instance. The tragedy, sad and regrettable, is the fact that when Dr. Ruel Koza was the chairman of ESCOM, ESCOM had a rating by rating agencies higher than sovereign. There was governance. They were expanding to the region. They wanted to provide more than 50% of the electricity that is generated in the continent. But the first thing that this administration did when it embarked on wholesale industrial scale looting was to get rid of these good cops and replace them with bad cops. Otherwise, how do you 
explain Des Van Royen replacing a capable, qualified chemist in the form of Praveen Gordon, who had been a minister before for many years, including the, the commissioner of the South African Revenue Service. Highly experienced, highly capable, wholesome, um, truth-telling, truth-living, and truth-speaking, and you want to replace him with somebody that we had never heard of. In fact, when the announcement was made, the country was saying, who? What happened? And, you know, in the apartheid government, there would never be an appointment of a minister of finance without at least consulting with the business community. That's number one. Number two, it's realizing that all there's more than 740 state-owned enterprises were repurposed to benefit only the looters. And a case in point is how the uh, SIU has gone to court to declare the contract of Tegeta with ESCOM as null and void with no force and effect in law. This opens the floodgates to challenge a number of contracts that had happened in all these state-owned enterprises. The biggest for me is how in Transnet, when we had an opportunity to purchase the biggest number of locomotives in the world, and we chose not to keep it internally, even though our policy is about localization and beneficiation, we gave it to South China Rail, and the board approved about a, a 32 billion rand for the acquisition of 1,064 locomotives. And when the board asked, but why is it so expensive? No, it includes everything, including the kitchen sink, foreign exchange, uh, the, 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 the price value of money over a period of time when these are actually delivered. When it came just the next financial year, this had ballooned to 54 billion, 16 billion more. And that board did not become curious enough to ask to hold the leadership finally accountable. How do you have a contract that's approved at slightly more than 32 billion, now 16 billion more? And that's where we have been absolutely uh, complicit. Lastly, I think business needs to be absolutely awake and conscious and accept that they themselves have been complicit. I think we did the right thing by focusing on state capture, especially as it emanates from the public sector, because that was the way we could really make headway. But you know, the painful thing is when you look at the value of what has actually been happening in the private sector through corporate governance failure, in fact, five times more money has been wasted through private sector corporate governance failures than through state capture. So you can see that South Africa today is genuinely poor in a fiscal crisis by choice, where some in the private sector chose to work with the public sector to enable, to aid and abet uh, this big project of state capture, where the Guptas alone had registered more than 50 companies, every single solitary one of them doing business with state-owned enterprises and with government direct. And here I'm talking just about national government and SOEs. When you come down to provinces and you come down to local municipalities, their numbers are truly horrendous. That's why 
the consequences are too ghastly to contemplate. I couldn't agree with you, Dr. Mahali. But now let's look at what is facing the Minister of Finance uh, tomorrow in trying to turn around. You've made a very uh, point and point around the 140 SOEs that are literally bankrupt. We have looked, I mean, you've, you've pointed out on how Transnet um, has, has completely, due to lack of governance and diligent on what pertinent issues are, have completely lost the plot, uh, you know, through state capture. And you also pointed out, correctly so, by, by giving a balanced uh, view on the role of the private sector in aiding uh, softening of resources from the state. Uh, by, by, by Because we often have a one-sided view uh, and forgetting that it takes two to tango. But coming back to the, the to to what we anticipate in tomorrow, firstly on state-owned enterprises, what do you think the Minister of Finance is likely to do? Because we all know that uh, turnaround it's not a, a an easy process. Turnaround it means change, and change is very painful. It might even bring about equity and equity partners in relation to, for an example, SAA uh, and 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 other SOE. Uh, 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 do you think the uh, the the Minister of Finance? Uh, is likely to go that route? You have hit the nail on the head. You see, following the most important state of the nation address by the president, where he outlined broad policy positions, this is the most consequential budget speech where the devil will most definitely be in the details about this administration's commitment to effecting and executing on the long overdue deep structural reforms. With about 150 billion of additional fiscal consolidation measures needed over the next three years. What are the low-hanging fruit that is worthy of some of the serious consideration by Minister Tito Mbowen? Let me proffer the easy ones from, from where I'm sitting. You know, if the minister embarked on a zero fiscal drag release, this may give us about 15 billion. So you don't adjust for, 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 for tax bracket creep. The second, this government can tax the illicit tobacco specifically, but also the illicit manufacturing in general. We know who are the people that are giving us cigarettes where the tax alone is more than 30 rand, but these cigarettes are manufactured here in South Africa and they are sold for 10 rand for a pack of 20. Everybody can know that. You can only do that when these are stolen or illegally manufactured. Unfortunately, some of those people who are doing the manufacturing were actually sponsoring some of the presidential candidates in their last election. The third one, if the government were to auction the 5G spectrum, you could get another 20 billion. Why this has not been done in the last 10 years, nobody knows. The last five years, nobody, last year, nobody knows. But I think Minister Tito Mbowen has another 20 billion just waiting, just in auctioning the 5G spectrum. There's three major um, cellular telephony companies will grab it up just like that. And here, if we include Telcom, who want it, but also Cell C, you've got five bidders. You can create a little bit of competitive tension and the price can only go up. The other one is imagine if we disposed of the 40% Telcom stake that is owned by government. We are in trouble. We are broke. We are technically bankrupt. Sell the 40% stake. Yes, you are fit. You are selling the family jewels, but at least it allows you revenue. We were unable to match the two billion by the private sector in saving SAA. That's why SAA is now in business rescue. The government can also dispose of the ESCOM finance company. 
ESCOM's primary function is to keep the lights on. What are they doing owning an ESCOM finance company that is beautifully capitalized, highly profitable, and it's looking at the retirement of the employees? But remember that government is the lender of last resort and all the risk is taken by government. When you go in pension, there's a formula. The government will make good on that. The other one that I think the Minister of Finance can look at is increase the fuel level because there, again, you're milking the golden goose that lays the golden eggs because the rich are already overtaxed. But in the fuel levy, and instead of ring-fencing it only for the upgrade of roads, use it really to get out of this fiscal crisis. We might have to increase VAT by an extra one percentage point. State capture has ensured that VAT moves from 14% to 15%. That 1% was as a direct causal effect of state capture. The other thing that I think the minister might have to look at is to increase personal income tax. Round four of the renewable energy program might yield about another 56 billion. Now, because of ideology, we have not been able to embark on this fourth uh, renewable energy program, and the prices have been coming down drastically. Today, they are 10% of what they were uh, when we started with program one. So 90% reduction in prices. And the uh, the Integrated Resource Plan 2019 requires about 11.6 gigawatt of additional energy, of which 90% will be from renewable energy. So you can fulfill the policy and you go out to the market and the private sector really helps you. Let me conclude, Lidabella, by saying, you know, this, in the current difficult environment, where the economy is extremely weak, we are in the grip of the longest downturn where policy is now clearly pro-cyclical versus what we did before, which is counter-cyclical. Where leading business cycle indicators are really not encouraging at all. Companies are not yet done adjusting to this downswing. Fixed investment by both government and the private sector has been cut dramatically at the time that we need it the most. There is clearly an extremely limited scope if any, to further raise the tax bed because the number of people that are paying taxes are actually limited. Let me give you some numbers. Last year, we had 7,000 people that were registered to pay tax who were earning 5 million rent or higher. That number this year is 6,000, only 6,000. Last year, there were 120,000 people that earn that we describe as high income earners that are taxed at a marginal rate of 45%. Today, that number is decreasing rapidly. So we can see that um, we are indeed uh, in, in, in a spot of bother. For me, um, we are now seeing the highest ever taxes paid on income and wealth as a, as a percentage of, um, uh, of employee compensation. The currency is weak. Is approaching 20 to uh, to the pound, uh, above 60 uh, to the euro, above 16 uh, to the dollar. The the repo rate is flat. Our CPI is low, but also we are witnessing lower household debt to disposable income. So you can see, Litabella, that the outlook for consumer spending has not improved. In fact, the consumers continue to be cautious and conservative. Discretionary spending in particular has taken a hit. 
As a result, emigration numbers are threatened to exceed the pre-1994 levels, except this time around the majority happen to be black professionals. Recently, companies have responded in a variety of ways to try and protect themselves against the onslaught. Let me stop there and, and hand over to you later Thank you very much, Ntelemula, for, for a very detailed breakdown of what is possibly in uh, at the minister's disposal in terms of trying to rejig what is inherently very complex. But perhaps maybe the question for me and, and the listener out there is the, the, you know, some of these issues presuppose that there is a consensus we have, um, what I would call, you know, the, 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 the consensus between labor, government and private sector. Where are we in relation to that? Because, you know, the, the general, if we're not in a position to have a, that kind of consensus contract, social contract, so to speak, which the, which the minister, which the president spoken about, because without a social contract, which puts together the trade-offs, which are negotiated, um, this would have made the budget speech of the minister like more, more easier to comprehend on a basis of the social contract, which would have, uh, be, which would have been, you know, developed by, 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 by social partners. Where are we? Shouldn't that have been a precursor to, to the budget speech? Because that would have made Made, uh, a huge difference. I think you're absolutely correct. So business has come to the party during the first investment summit. They made 196 billion rands worth of commitments. The second one we've just had, where you add them together, it's north of 350 billion, and they really want to spend money. And they've said, for us to be able to even spend more, we need regulatory certainty and policy stability. As we speak, there is no policy stability and regulatory certainty on nationalist insurance, on expropriation without compensation, instead of talking about land reform in general, not just expropriation without compensation. And how does this manifest? This is where it's really painful. The first six weeks of this year, when companies are really uh, consolidating, we saw in the, just the announced planned layoffs there are much more than 10,000. Samanko said they are going to return 3,000 employees. Telcom, another 3,000. Masmat spoke about 1,440. Arcelometer, 1,400 employees. Sibanye, 1,442 employees. Glencore said they are going to return 655 employees. Even Aspen, that was profitable for so many decades, said we are going to return 219 employees. And the list goes on. But remember, this excludes South African Airways and ESCOM, where we know that there are at least 15,000 employees, too many. 2010, ESCOM has 32,000 employees. Before the financial year, end of last year, 48,000, as we speak, 44,000 employees. That's what we are talking about. But here's another number to look at. Temporary Employee Stroke Employer Relief Scheme, by December of 2019, had 47 applications with about 4,799 affected employees. And these are excluded in the numbers that are north of 10,000. But you see, historically, South Africa almost always got bailed out by positive global developments. In at least the last four consecutive medium-term budget policy statements, we have missed our own plans by a mile. We must urgently embark on a few but sustained actions if we are going to succeed in convincing Moody's 
to maintain our investment grade rating when they do so around the 27th of March. We must slow growth in the public sector wage bill that is threatening to exceed the current 585 billion. Remember, it's approaching 600 billion, and yet it was only 230 billion in 2008-2009 financial period. Additional tax revenue are urgently needed. We must reduce future transfers to these more than 740 state-owned enterprises. But by amongst others, we need ruthless execution of a sustainable plan that we are hoping the Minister Tito Mbowen is going to unveil tomorrow. Because the disposal of non-core assets is now imperative, which might free up up to 7 billion rand just by um, the, the disposal of some of these non-core assets. Because the government does not have the money, options for private sector participation is our only salvation in this current crisis. So the people who are going to save the day is actually business. Because government doesn't have money. It can't be labor because labor itself, the total numbers of, um, of, of workers that are paying their monthly dues is actually drastically reducing. At one instance, Kosatu had 2 million members before Numsa left with about 800,000 of them. So you can see that our, our, our problem is actually deep and is structural, not cyclical at all. Let me back to you. Thank you, Dr. Mahale, for that. I, I suppose, um, you know, the listener out there is quite keen to know, I mean, because I think what, what you put in forth as a proposal which will release additional funding that will plug in the gaps is the disposal of assets. We know that, I mean, you made a proposal, you know, uh, if, if government were to sell its share at, at, at ESCOM, I mean, Telcom, and if government would dispose, uh, you know, the ESCOM, uh, uh, you know, finance company um, or Increase the levy and and also issues around um, uh, 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 you know dropping the income tax you know so so these are some of the practical things that can be done but perhaps maybe the biggest one is disposal of assets how far are we what is appetite particularly among the tripartite uh, alliance on a disposable assets because that on its own that ticket that line item has has huge potential to 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 really broaden the gap. You see, this is where, sadly, those that don't learn from history are condemned to repeat its mistakes. This government is beholden to ideology, not pragmatism. We know exactly what needs to to be done, because in South Africa, all our problems have been correctly diagnosed. If you read um, the NDP 2030, it says these are the nine things that we must do to be able to have sustainable, but also a resilient South African economy. And we have done nothing of that. We have inherited a capitalist system, but we refuse to manage it. Some of the people that are advising this government are themselves socialists, if not outright communists. At the time that even in China, the hotbed of communism, below the central committee, there is no country in the world that is as rabid a capitalist as the Chinese economy. See how they consume uh, uh, big brands. You'll see how, wh- wh- what I really mean. I think what is needed is a new social compact that will improve sentiment, that will improve business confidence because it's business that needs to invest, that will accelerate this notion of an inclusive socio-economic growth and prosperity. 
that will increase job creation in large numbers. That will improve social stability and rebuild trust. Because at the moment, the trust is really very low. So what does really need to be done? I think from the president up, what we need more than anything else is number one, leadership. The president must say, we are going to turn left one degree, irrespective of consequences. Because leadership is not about being popular. It's about doing the right things, not doing things right. Secondly, I think we need to continue to root out and defeat state capture. We need to get South Africa quickly back on track. We must address this fiscal crisis by embarking on prudent fiscal policies. We need to reduce government spending, whether Labour likes it or not. We must fix our state-owned enterprises and state-owned companies including municipalities. The single biggest, both systemic and systematic risk is ESCOM's debt, which is north of 450 billion. And we hope that by tomorrow, the minister will come up with an explicit plan as to how they are going to deal with this albatross that is hanging around the entire economy's neck. Because when ESCOM fails, not only does ESCOM collapse, but the entire economy collapses because energy is indeed the first means of production. Again, we need to provide regulatory certainty and policy stability. At the moment, we are talking about the debt control relief bill. Banks are actually worried to say, what's going to happen? Who's in? Who's out? How is this going to, to work? We need to continue to strengthen the key institutions. We need to make doing big as well as small business that much easier. In this country, to open a small and medium enterprise will take you about two years. Register it, CIPC, get a tax number, do business, and then you have to get uh, verification. It, it takes just too long. When in Singapore, you can do so in about two hours. We need to continue to improve governance in both the private and public sector. We must finalize the digital migration and the 4G and 5G spectrum allocation. We have had four ministers. Ten years later, it's the policy of this ANC-led government that we should be digital. And yet we're going back to 1969 when the world saw the landing of the man on the moon. Even Zimbabwe had TV, but in South Africa we had to listen to it on the radio. Today, the countries around us, Botswana, Lesotho, Namibia and Swaziland, will have 5G quicker than us. And yet all we can do is just really, like I said, just auction the spectra. I'm back to you, Litebe. No, thank you very much, Dr. Mahale, for that. You've just joined us. We are, we are joined online by Ndate Bonang Mahale, who is the chairperson of Bidvest, giving us broad, broad, broad in terms of what to expect tomorrow, what are the things that he himself, I suppose, he would have advised the Minister of, of uh, Finance to look into. Um, he, I mean, I think Olokindi spoke about uh, disposing of telecom assets. He Olokindi spoke about, you know, disposing of ESCOM finance, uh, you know, finance capacity, I mean, finance company, which is heavily capitalized. He spoke about, uh, you know, possibly increasing the full levy as one possible income stream and 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 so on so 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 these are some of the issues that the Bonang Mahale is giving us a blow blah blah on we have just joined on studio by you know Eric Stillman who is nodding as the Mahale is giving us a blow blah blah in terms of what is it that uh, the minister is confronted with you know, I'll, I'm going to give Eric a bit of a, 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 a input here. But before that, uh, one of the critical things that you raised, it is that of leadership. 
You've pointed out very clearly that we need a leadership that is robust, a leadership that is not gunning for popularity. To what extent do you think Cyril Ramaphosa at this point live up to that particular philosophy? You know, President Matame or Cyril Ramaphosa wants to do the right things and he knows what the right things are. He gets advised by sane, logical and rational ministers of finance like Minister Tito Mbowen. Minister Tito Mbowen went out on a limb and published a plan, an economic plan at the time that the world was saying, but South Africa is a hopeless backwater. They don't even have a plan. And he risked his neck. Labor wanted to eat him alive, but he stayed the course because leadership is about soaring alone. It's not a popularity contest. But look at the symptoms that says we can have more, not less leadership. We have lost our international competitiveness. The ruling party is divided over economic policy. And labor is holding the entire country to ransom. Growth has been too low for too long. Public spending has been allowed to grow too fast. And SOEs and SOCs have been technically bankrupt for at least a decade. The politically hard decisions required to reform this economy and rationalize spending are yet to be taken. We continue to experience unbudgeted spending shocks of things like fee-free higher education at around $57 billion per annum and ESCOM's cumulative bailout of $128 billion just in the last three years. You can see that South Africa is both incurring new debt and continuing to borrow to pay interest on existing debt. So South Africa's public spending is now in irreversible decline. For me, the telling thing, as South Africans, all almost 59 million of us, we must say we used to be the gateway to Africa, 1.3 billion people, 55 countries speaking uh, 2,000 languages with a continental GDP of 6 trillion U.S. dollars, Nigeria being the biggest, with 30.3 million uh, square kilometers of pristine coastline. The only continent in the world that can say to tourists, if you want it, we have it. Here is Mike Pompeo representing the biggest economy in the world. Instead of coming and lending in South Africa, he lands in Nairobi and he, visits, he doesn't even visit us to show that we have lost our shine, we have lost our mojo. This is consistent with the treatment and the reception that we got in the World Economic Forum this year during the 50th anniversary when we used to be the darling of the world and Holisatha Nelson Mandela's children. Now, this notion of giving effect to the South Africa of Holisatha Nelson Mandela, the South Africa we have been praying for, to realize nation building and social cohesion in our lifetime, that dream is slowly slipping away by absolute choice, not by accident. But I suppose, Ndadam Hali, uh, when you look at on the positive side of things, um, with, with your leadership, I'm, I'm sure that, you know, and, and everyone else in business, uh, putting forward the social construct, the social compact, which is absolutely, it's a currency which will bring this company, this, this, this country back. Um, surely if we can get that right, 
You know, if we can get labor, you can get business, you can get uh, uh, government on the same page, especially around policy certainty. There has to be trade-offs. There has to be decisions that, 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 that are not necessarily palatable, at least in the short term. But we have to have a long-term view. You know, in in terms of getting the economy right, we will not get to the five percent, um, you know, annual GDP as envisaged in NDP if we are not able to arrest the decay that has already happened. But I would imagine through the social construct or the social compact that Silverman uh, Post has spoken about, we're more likely to address this. How? What is the appetite of other players? Uh, we know where the government. We know pretty much based on your articulation where the private sector is. But where is labour? Where is government? in relation to social compact? I, I think it needs to be led uh, by the president without governing this country through summits. We've had the job summit, the investment summit, 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 summit. At some stage, I think we need to be able to say 10 left, 1 degree. But I'm really insistent and persuasive when I say because of the depth and the width of this crisis we are confronted with, and the act that is hanging over our necks about uh, Moody's probably uh, contemplating whether we should maintain our investment grade. This must be private sector-led. And for it to be private sector-led, there is no rocket science. Give them regulatory certainty and policy stability. You see, even if you are a dictatorship, if you say I'm a dictator, business knows that certainty. That stability, then they know how to deal with it. Completely. At the moment, they don't know whether we Arthur or Martha or anything in between. We have been very explicit that business must lead on six big burning platform issues. We said business must lead on land reform, not just on expropriation without compensation, because in land reform, there's land restitution, land redistribution, and land development. The biggest Parcels of land are held not by the private sector, but by government. But the private sector can send, can send a huge, um, a, a, a structural, but also strategic message that we are with you, Mr. President. We want to help because we are sitting on parcels of land that are not productive. Number two, business needs to lead on transformation. It cannot be that 26 years into democracy, that poverty still has primarily a black face and a feminine face. Thirdly, it's business that must lead in taking us out of this fiscal crisis. Business must lead on growing this economy because if the economy is is not growing, very soon we'll be talking about the redistribution of poverty, not the redistribution of wealth. Because when the economy is not growing, not increasing the size of the pie, the people tend to hoard, they tend to view the world with a prism not of love, but a prism of fear, of scarcity, not a prism of abundance. The last two for me, we need to create jobs in large numbers. It can be that the entire population equal to the biggest economy in the province of Gauteng, almost uh, 10 million people are unemployed or have given up looking for work. It's a recipe for disaster. The elements that were present during the Arab Spring are here immediate uh, and, 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 and with us. And, and if we are not seen to be acting on them and addressing them decisively, I think the poor are going to be thieves out of necessity. Lastly, I think we need to take this notion 
where business leads on growing its own team. We can't look at government and say, give us the skills of the fourth industrial revolution when we are not even providing the basics, just doing this that we ought to be doing today. Education matters not only because you can transcend social classes. Education matters because when one steadily bends the midnight oil, one gains access to the domain of knowledge and wisdom, the world of meaning, the world that cannot be conquered without a persistent crusade. It's very difficult to fool uh, people that are educated. But if people have not gone to school, I think politicians can lie and continuously make promises for 50 years without fulfilling any of them with absolutely no final accountability and therefore no consequences. I couldn't agree with you on, on the last point that I'm on about the veil of education. I'm sitting here with uh, Eric Stillman who's nodding, uh, you know, obviously at all, at all in agreeing with you. Eric, we don't have much time. You want to have a, a quick uh, wait for Bonang on a specific issue, perhaps maybe? Good evening, Nimrod. Good evening, Bonang. It's been an absolute uh, pleasure listening to you, Bonang. And I must say I agree with a lot of what you've said. Um, in terms of what one can expect from Tito in the budget tomorrow, <coughs> um, without being too specific, I think he's very aware of the issues facing the country, and I think he's a, a guy who's got incredible leadership uh, qualities. He's got a lot of experience. He's got an expert team advising him. I saw on social media last night that his team were hard at work trying to craft this budget um, so that it will actually boost confidence and lower the risk of uh, of a downgrade by Moody's. So I think what you might expect and hope for um, are realistic negotiated trade-offs that somehow will stabilize the debt at not racing away towards 70% and beyond of GDP. That's one of the crucial things that Moody's wants to see. And I've got no doubt that Tito is in communication with Moody's and understands what their bottom lines are and he's got to deliver those bottom lines I think he's going to um, find a lot of savings and uh, as the president said in his state of nation on reallocation of expenditure between areas that are not desperate and that are not priorities many of them having been unspent budgets in in some of the municipalities for example that that budgets go unspent and get returned to the fiscus i do agree with um with bonang that the fuel levy is such an easy win you know and 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 it's unfortunate but so much of the fuel price is, comprises uh, levy and taxes and they do, do get absorbed uh, tito uh, uh, trevor manuel made sure that they were not ring fenced hence our roads are not properly maintained and, and we and we resort to to uh uh, to to etol trying to get etols when they should come out of the fuel levy. In fact, uh, I think the possibilities of an easy win uh, it will be very uh, controversial. Of course, of a VAT increase uh, um, is is there if he, he really needs it to avoid going further into debt. When you're looking at a budget of of expenditure of somewhere around one and a half trillion rand, <clears throat> if you're managing a business or a household and you seriously take the budgeting low-cost exercise, cost-saving exercise, you can't find economies. And I think that's what Tito's going to be trying to do. I think he will hold expenditure at the CPI or lower, and 
I think that inflation, not in, in adjusting for inflation, will also contribute towards the fiscus. The other restructuring measures and reduction of, of corruption are also um, areas that he will look to, to, to saving money. But I, I feel that it could be something that would be something for everyone. And, of course, nobody will get everything that they want. But ultimately, uh, I think, you know, uh, uh, thanks for that insight, um, Eric. Dadem Hali, as, as a parting shot, um, because the, the biggest challenge is, is really about job, it's about job creation and the extent to which, uh, you know, when, when the minister doing the balancing act, uh, some, some amount have to be put aside to try and stimulate the economy. It's not only about just maintaining, you know, you have to stimulate the economy. What would the ad- advice be in stimulating the economy to try and address unemployment, particularly among youth, as, as your parting short? Litabele, the jobs are created by the private sector, not by the public sector, and the numbers are there. The private sector employs 14.5 million people. Government, in all three spheres of government, uh, 2.3 million people, directly 1.3 million people. So you need to make the environment conducive for business. I really want to, my parting shot, to be my favorite quotation about the destruction of a nation. So at the gate of a South African university, the following was posted for contemplation. And I love this, absolutely. And it says, destroying any nation does not require the use of atomic bombs or the use of long-range missiles. It only requires lowering the quality of education and allowing cheating in the examination by the students. It goes on to say, patients die at the hands of such doctors. Buildings collapse at the hands of such engineers. Money is lost at the hands of such economists and accountants. Humanity dies at the hands of such religious scholars. Justice is lost at the hands of such judges. The collapse of education is the collapse of the nation. And we must admit that South Africa is the only country that became free from our colonial masters and did not intentionally improve the quality of education. Thank you, my dear brother. Thank you very much. As always, it's always a pleasure to have you on board. And by the way, I forgot to really uh, you know, applaud you for your appointment as the chairperson of, of Bitvest. I think the company is definitely in good hands. Your, our prayers and thoughts are with you. May you continue to do the good work. Until we meet again, Dad. There we go. That's uh, Bonang Mahale, the chairperson of Bidvest, really giving us uh, thought-provoking insight about what is it that the Minister of Finance he will be grappling with in trying to manage uh, you know, the, the budget issues. Uh, he has given us really interesting uh, downloads in terms of what are the um, levers uh, or leverage point which the minister uh, might have. I mean, issues around levies, uh, issues around uh, tax, issues around you know uh, 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 disposing of, of assets, which will, will release substantial resources. Which I would imagine some of those resources uh, you know could be plowed back into the economy by way of providing certainty from a policy point of view that the private sector can take advantage in stimulating growth because ultimately it's not about managing it's also about expansion we understand that we are in a, a fix but be that as it may we, we have to have mechanisms, strategies in place to stimulate the economy uh, and, and as you're part in short um, Eric looking forward to Tito's budget 
I think that it, it hopefully will, will give a little bit of a boost to the country and, and keep uh, Moody's, uh, from, from any downgrades for the foreseeable future, at least, you know, for revaluation maybe later in the year, um, and give this economy a little bit of an injection that of confidence that it needs. Absolutely. Unfortunately, we're going to have to leave it there. It has been absolutely pleasure being on board. Until we meet again, let's do this again. Okay, bye.